0: Hey, it's Pastor Sam. I want to thank you for tuning into this week's sermon, which is from our current sermon series called Our Aim, as we look at the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. You can find more information about Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois, at scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, oh boy. Huh. All right, be seated. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, I don't know if you notice, every week up here in the front pew, there's a bit of a wrestling match that happens. Every week I sit up here and uh, I'm wrestling one of, of two things. One, I'm either wrestling the enemy who's insisting that, whatever I have to present to God's people this morning is small and insignificant. And other times I'm wrestling like Jacob did for God's blessing, that the Spirit would anoint me to come up to speak powerfully and boldly and in the courage of the Holy Spirit as I stand on the truth of God's word. And some weeks it feels like I'm wrestling both at the same time, which I'm not a wrestler, but I felt that today. And so I come up this morning, eager to preach, but also uh, in, in great awareness of, of needing God's spirit and his help. So let's pray. Will you pray for me? And I'm going to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your your kindness and your mercy towards us. There's no God like you. No one deserves the honor and the glory and praise like you. Yet our, our whole week has been this, this compromise of our allegiance. We've We've worshiped other things, our, our hearts have gravitated towards the, the created rather than the creator. And so this morning we ask that you would just hit the reset button on our hearts, that you would bring us back into a right standing, bring us back into where we really are in our identity in Christ as beloved sons and daughters, those who have the Holy Spirit implanted in us that leads us towards righteousness and gives us the gift of conviction of sin to bring us to the refreshing wells of repentance. This morning, God, we come to you because you hold the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? Speak loudly so that those of us who have cotton balls shoved in our ears can hear that it would just pierce our hearts, Lord, and, and, and the person who needs this most this morning is me. So as I speak to your people, would your spirit preach to me? Would you bring us to the depths of Of your grace. Give us uh, a firmness, a rootedness in the the truth, the bedrock of truth. God, and lead us in the direction that you want your church to go. We ask this not just for our good, but for your glory, ultimately your glory, and for the good of our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are winding down our sermon series that we're calling Our Aim. We've been re- claiming, rediscovering, refamiliarizing ourselves with the, the mission of Sacred City Church, which is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. We've been talking about making disciples and how when we set out to make disciples, we're thinking both deep and wide. Wide in the sense that we want to see more people come to a saving faith in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we live on mission. God has created us. He's brought us into his family to send us back out to bring more people in. We want to go wide. But we also want to be a community of disciples who go deep. Understand that, that when God saves us, he intends to sanctify us. The whole rest of our life is this journey of sanctification, of, of, of this purification, this, this reformation of the soul that takes place where we become more Christ-like in our day-to-day life. And as we make disciples going both deep and wide, we ask that God would grow his church and and not just grow the church, but actually multiply the church through church planting, that more places would have, have these outposts of the kingdom planted in different neighborhoods, different cities, different parts of the region so that more people could come to know the grace of Jesus. Now, if God graciously allowed us as a church to excel at this, I mean, just like, like so good that, that we could host seminars and churches from all over the place would come to hear of, about how the success that we've had in making disciples and planting churches. If God gave us that kind of success, that would be incredible. <laughs> Praise God. But if we got that kind of success, we might be tempted to say, well, we've made disciples and we planted churches, therefore, mission complete, right? That, that's the end of the to-do list. We've kind of checked our boxes and sort of call it a day with the mission of God. But, but to do so, to stop at making disciples and planting churches would be to forget how big and how transformative the gospel of grace really is. Randall Curry, who's one of the president of the Ezra Institute, says the gospel is all-encompassing in scope. 11 that permeates and informs every area of life and thought what randall is doing here is reminding us of the vastness of the gospel of grace the fact that the gospel isn't just this thing for salvation to kind of punch people's ticket to heaven get them out of here and and hang on tight until jesus comes back and beams us up to heaven He's saying the gospel is so much bigger that it informs every area of life, that there's an implication for every single facet. Now in Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, which is just a chapter after where our scripture reading for the day was, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he, he reminds us of the vastness of God's mission. When he teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He points on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's not just in the church as it is in heaven, though that's a good start. It's not just in the churchy spaces or, or the sacred, more religious spaces as it is in heaven. It's, it's through the whole earth as it is in heaven. Now, a lot of us have the mindset that, that it's just, that the kingdom of heaven is just in these pockets, and that's what it forever will be until Jesus extracts us out of this world. It's almost as if Satan is letting Jesus rent space on the earth now until he comes back, right? It's like, okay, you, you can have a little church there and that'll be light, but the rest of the place is mine. Well, that, that does not at all line up with the reality of what the scriptures tells us. When in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. That, that the, the world is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, it all belongs to God. See, Jesus is the light of the world who has come to push back darkness and one day his push will be so effective that not an ounce, not a shred, not an iota of darkness will remain. The whole earth will be transformed and renewed by the radiance of Christ's glory. And we will get to see on earth as it is in heaven, for real, like for real, for real. Yeah, you guys are a bunch of, yeah. Like, you know, in, in the pastoral welcome every week, I say something to the extent of, of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those, those who long for the brokenness of this world to be mended. If you're a Christian, that's us. And even if you're not a Christian, there's, there's something in every single heart that longs for the warpedness of this world to be ironed out, the chaos would be restored to order. Now, this is why the last piece of our mission is to renew the city. We don't just wanna exist to to make disciples and to plant churches, but actually to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth as Habakkuk says it will. Now, it's this last piece of our mission of, of renewing the city that people, when we're talking about what we do as a church or what we're about or what our aim is as a church, a lot of times people scratch their head, like, what do you mean renew the city? What does that even mean? Are you talking about like flower planters and painting new murals, doing like city cleanup, more like the aesthetic stuff of, of what the city's about, like renewing the city? Well, that's part of it. When we talk about renewing the city, there is an aesthetic renewal that we want to see happen. And as we work into this in the, over the next couple of weeks, next week, we're really gonna get into the what of like, what do we do to renew the city? But today I wanna spend time talking about why Like why do we as a church say part of our mission is to renew the city? Why do we care about renewing the city? Why do we even care about the city at all? Now, a lot of Christians are of the mindset that we're just, Jesus saves us and he puts us in the church and he says, hang tight, I'll be back. You just hold down the fort, right? Stay in your lane, do the churchy stuff, Don't worry about impacting the culture. And we have this expectation that Jesus is gonna show up one day and just extract us out of here and none of this stuff will ever matter again. Again, the Bible corrects us in this mindset. When you go to Revelation, talking about the end of the world, the renewal of all things that's happening. It's not the old earth that gets ejected and tossed away and, and it gets burned up and squelched in a flame. What happens is heaven and earth meet together in the middle, the new heavens, the new earth. So what is done here actually carries eternal significance. The kingdom work that we do here today, what is done in the name of Jesus will stand for all of eternity. Now, the reason why we care about the city is because God loves the city. God, God, It might sound crazy to think that God loves Moline. God God loves Rock Island. God loves Alito and Silvis and everywhere. I think God even loves the cities across the Mississippi. I'd go so far to say. That God loves the city. Now, how, how do we know this? Now, why is this the case? How, why is it that God loves a city? Well, Tim Keller reminds us that there is more imago day, more image of God, more image bearers of God per square mile in cities than there are in any other place in the world. Cities are where there are the most humans. The human population, obviously, that's what city is, is a population, a large population of humans. But, but those humans are created in the image of God, and God loves those who are created in his image. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love the country, that God doesn't love country folk, right? That's not at all what it means. It just means that in cities, there is a larger landing pad for God's love. More people for God to love in the cities. Now, just because there are more people for God to love in the city, doesn't mean that there are more people who love God. I mean, the Bible has all of these accounts of cities who are God-hating cities, cities that are against God, that are rebellious against God, have want nothing to do with it. You go, you go to Babylon, you can go to Nineveh before Jonah shows up and preaches his thing. You can even go to Jerusalem as Jesus is there getting ready to, to lay his life down for his own people. And he says, woe to Jerusalem, the city that rejects the prophets. It was nothing to do with God. When people fail to love God, there's a domino effect that happens. When we fail to love God, we will fail to love neighbor. When we fail to love neighbor, we'll fail to love our city. With a with lack of love, the absence, a deficit of love, the city becomes volatile. And I think this is one of the things that, that makes us kind of want to push away from the cities. Like the, there's a lot of negative connotations that are wrapped up in the city. You've got crime and pollution. It seems crowded and and there's poverty and injustice and corruption like you, you can go through the whole thing if cities though it's there there's the most image bears in the city there's also the most wickedness in the city there there are more sinners in the city and so part of this is it causes us to kind of want to push away and get away from the city and what happens if god's grace doesn't intervene Every city is now on a trajectory to be like Gotham, to to be like Las Vegas, the sin city. Every city has that that potential if sin goes unchecked. Now, with all of these negative overtones of the city, you think that God would want nothing to do with cities, and, and that's sort of reflected in the fact that we don't want anything to do with cities. I mean, there's this attitude that people, I'm looking forward to buying an acreage out of town and being out or "Or going to the suburbs. There's there's this general desire of of people in the city who want to get out of the city, want to get away from the city. If not for the commodities of a city, you wonder, would anybody really want to be around here? Now, in that wretched state that cities can easily devolve into, God could have easily Said, "Oh, heck no! (laughs) I'm not messing with that. Turned the city over, turned the world over to itself, and condemned the world. Now, the crazy part about this is, like, we we as Christians can get so like we could get in looking at the city and the deficits, the the deficiencies, the the um the brokenness of our city. We can get sort of um prideful of ourselves." It's like, well, those, the city's the problem. The heathens, the rebels, they're the problem. But the seed of every terrible city is embedded right in your chest. The thing that makes every city unbearable, every, the thing that makes every city like repulsive to us is, is sin. This rebellion against God, this, this hate for what is good and right and true. And sin has gotten into our own hearts. And so our own hearts, there's this potential, there's this rebellion that comes with it. Now, if God were to just condemn the world and the city, we would easily be lumped in with that too. But instead of condemning us, instead of condemning the city, Romans 8 tells us that God condemns sin in the flesh of Jesus. Jesus. It's by his loving grace, by God's loving grace, not our merit, that God sends Jesus to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, that whoever trusts in him will be saved and find eternal life, this fullness of life, this abundant life, this thriving, this flourishing, this desire that we all have as humans to live into. And when you experience the grace of God, it profoundly changes you. And the thing that it changes primarily is who and what you love. If sin distorted our hearts and twisted it and warped it and and made us rebels to the bone, well, God's grace has this way of regaining our allegiance, of toppling the strongholds, the sin that holds us back from living the life that we desire to live. It, It reorders our hearts so that we would love rightly. First John chapter four tells us that we love because Christ first loved us. That that Christ's love is what sets us straight. So so in this, when our hearts get reordered, our loves get, get shaped appropriately, the first thing to change is we go from rebellious state to a love of God, that we desire to love and worship and obey God because he is the ultimate source of beauty and goodness and truth. He is prosperity, he is flourishing in and of himself. And as our hearts get reordered to love God rightly, our hearts become aligned to God so that we then become that we would begin to love the people and places and things that God also loves. Things that are are distorted by sin, things that are are in, in ruins of brokenness of sin. And we do this. We love the broken people and we love the broken places because that's precisely how God's love shows up in our life, It is while we were broken, while we were a hot mess, that God's grace and love pursues us. As our hearts align to God's, it means that we begin to love our city. It means that we begin to love the people and the places that God has put us in the context of and we love it the way that Jesus loves it. Now, this is what Jesus is getting at in in Matthew chapter five. He's talking here about how how Christians are to interact with their surroundings. He's on the Sermon on the Mount here right, right at the beginning. And Jesus says this. He says, you are... Check. One, two. Oh, yeah. hold on. I think I know what's wrong. Oh, I don't know what's wrong. I'll just stand very still. <laughs> Jesus says that you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus says that you are here, Christian to add flavor and push back darkness. You are in this space to advocate and push for the city's glory, to unapologetically enhance the city, to make it a better place in every facet, in every regard, spiritually, relationally, economically, politically, legislatively, culturally, even aesthetically. Everything is meant to be impacted in our city. Now, the thing about this, when Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, the, the light of the world, for salt and light to do its job, for salt and light to work, contact must be made. Like, salt is no good if it doesn't get applied to the vegetables. My kids just dump that on. It's like, you, you gotta cut them off. But salt's not good if it just sits in the jar. It's gotta be applied. It's gotta make contact with the veggies. Light's no good if it's hidden away. Now, Jesus warns us of a couple of of tendencies that we have as as we as Christians engage with the culture, as we live in the city that God has placed us in. Now, the first way that Jesus warns us is that we have a tendency to detach from the city. We have a, a desire uh, we have a tendency to, to pull away from the city and the culture, to, to view it as this big, bad thing that we just got to tuck our tails between our legs and run away from it and, and hide it and shelter in place, isolate. Now, you see this sectarianism, that's what it is. It's, it's sort of the separatist sort of, we, we're, we're tucked away from the world, we're hidden away, these little enclaves, we're sheltered. You see this in, in places like Amish communities and, and monasteries. And, and I'm not... I'm not against those. I'm not bring, I, I understand why they do it. There, there's a desire to preserve a certain kind of culture. that They see the badness of what's out there in the world, and there is a real threat of it, that, that it's against God, that it runs against the way that God has designed the world to operate. And what they're trying to do is, is to preserve a little bit of sanity in this little place that they have. I think it's well-intended in what they're doing. However when it's largely detached from the rest of the city, when it's largely detached from the other people that they, they are around, that they're surrounding, it's problematic. This whole like salt being salt doesn't work if it doesn't connect with the audience. Now, I, I, I feel this in my soul. I, I have these tendencies. I probably like once a week, I tell my wife, it's like, hey, any day now, we're just gonna pack up the van and we're gonna find a little tree house and we're just gonna hang out there, hunker down and do that. Right? Because there's a strong pull that can't we just reset, kind of do our own thing? Do we have to engage? Well, Jesus says, yeah. Yeah, we, we are to be salt to the earth. And we might be a ways off from moving to the city, out of the city to the boonies, move, moving into that, that Christian commune. But for many Christians like me, it sounds desirable in the midst of the crazy culture. When you see what's going on out there and you look at it and say, this is insanity. This rebellion against God will not go well. It's either Christ, you submit to Christ, you obey Jesus, you order your life around his commands and you thrive and flourish or you reject Christ and it's chaos. Those are the only two options. And when we see our culture rejecting Christ, it just compounds to the delusion, the insanity of what's going on and you just wanna run away. Now, we might not be moving to the boonies, but but there's a tendency for us to do this on a small scale. I'm not saying, you know, totally, I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. But there's a tendency that we have to do it on a small scale. uh, scale. It's where we kind of, we live in our neighborhoods, but we never talk to our neighbors. Like, we're lucky if we just know their names. Or you show up to work and you just want to, Show up, get your job done, keep your head down, try not to make friends. <laughs> Just do it and get out. Like, that's a, micro, a micro, micro manifestation of this sort of sectarian ideology. We, we work out at home. Instead of going places where we can brush up against people living on mission, we sort of isolate. We work out at home. You order your groceries online so you don't even have to talk to a clerk anymore. You do the drive through coffee instead of sitting down in a place and, it, it, you know, taking up space for a moment. Now, there certainly is convenience to this. There, that's part of the equation of why we do some of these things. But a lot of times, what's driving it is just a desire to be detached from everybody else, to be detached from the city. The other side that Jesus warns us of is... Um, With this, Jesus says in in verse 15. He says, uh, I'm in the wrong wrong chapter. Verse 15 of chapter five. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to God, Father, who is in heaven. See, Jesus warns us against this sort of separatist mindset. He's like, I, I, Jesus, who is the light of the world, who has pushed back, he's made his light shine into your heart, pushed back the darkness of your heart. He's lit you ablaze. And he says, guess what? You need to go in to the city. You're like church. You are a lamp. that's meant to be put up on a stand so the world can see your good works and give, give glory to God in heaven. Nobody put light to light and then puts it under a basket over the top of it. What, what good is it then? If that's the way that we're going, that's the way we're engaging with our city, we will never see city transformation. We'll never, we'll never see the city become something more of what we want it to be. It's just sort of resignation. It's like, well, the devil's got the city. I'll see you when Jesus comes back. Jesus says, "Listen, your light is meant to shine. The way we change our city, the way that we transform our culture is by engaging with it, by being embedded in it, to be in the world now, but not of the world. just as Jesus put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says, "We do that too." We, we embed ourselves in the city. We make our light shine. We don't hide it. We don't separate. We don't, we don't sort of enclave ourselves. We take the light of the world and know that Jesus goes with us into these dark spaces. This is when the church is at our best. Pushing back darkness, bringing reformation. Now, You may not know this. I don't know how many history folks there are, but but the Reformation, what Luther and Calvin and Zwingli were about back in the the 1500s, um, it wasn't merely a reformation of the church. Do you know that? I mean, there was definitely reformation stuff happening within the church, like reforming the doctrine to be aligned to the word of God but also was in view was the reformation of a society because the church is the sort of like the fountainhead of a society. The church is the prophetic voice of the society. The church is what, what sort of provides guardrails for the society. So as the church is reformed, the, the vision is there's this trickle down of reformation that moves even into the city. And this is what it looks like for the light to be brought out. But so many of us wanna just sort of hide the light Now, if we are courageous enough to take the light in the darkness, which because, dude, it it takes so much courage right now. It takes so much courage to stand out, to not just put your head down and go along with everything the culture is telling you to be about. It takes, listen, the only kind of courage that can do it, keep your head up, stay faithful, is the kind of courage that the Holy Spirit implants in your heart. You can't muster this up. Now, as we go out to carry the light, we also need to be aware of of another danger, another tendency that the church has, which is what Jesus sort of pinpoints in Matthew 13. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, here's here's the tendency. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? What he's saying here is like, listen, Christians are meant to be distinct. Like light, just as light is set apart from darkness, Christians are supposed to be set out from the world. And Jesus is identifying here that there is a tendency among Christians to lose our distinctiveness. That as God's grace has gotten into our hearts, transformed us, the light of Christ has shown in there that the light starts to dim. That the darkness of the world sort of just engulfs us and we, instead of transforming the culture, get transformed by the culture, get conformed to the culture. This is what theologians call syncretism. where, where this, this, the church adopts what's going on in the culture. Lose our Christian distinctiveness and we just sort of blend right on in. Now this is what happens when our love for Jesus takes the back seat when we're engaging with the city. What, what happens is my love for the city trumps my love for Jesus. Now, if you love Jesus, you're about grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And when we lose the saltiness, what's happening is is we're losing that prophetic edge. We're losing the truth. We're losing the grace. And instead of loving Jesus and being about those things, we just want to go along. Our, Our love for the culture just kind of makes us complacent in those things. And in this, there's this reverse discipleship that happens where the city shapes us rather than Jesus shaping us. We become just another cog in the machine of the individualistic, consumeristic, perverted, anxious, depressed machine of our society. And I think that right now, the state of the church at large, the state of the evangelical church This is the real time pandemic of our day. The church losing its saltiness, the church losing its Christian distinctiveness because it loves the world more than it loves Jesus. Now, when this happens, when when Christian distinctiveness is lost, when we lose our saltiness, this is bad for both the city and for us. What good is unsalted vegetables? Right, the city, the city just stays bland. It suffers, it backslides. There's no prophetic and redemptive edge that's happening to advance the city forward in a Godward direction. And it's bad for the church. I mean, when this happens, Jesus says it's better just pitch the thing out, toss it out, trample over it. Well, good is salt if it does this. And when the church loses its saltiness, what happens, people in our culture think that Jesus is giving sin the stamp of approval through the church. There's no Christian witness. There's no call to faith and repentance. There's no newness of life. When our love for city trumps our love for Jesus, it will make our city a worse place to live. It's crazy how that works. You think that a love for a city would just mean that it's always, no, no, no. A love that is lacking, a love for the city that's lacking a love for Jesus will lead to its ruin. So the question is, if God loves a city, if God's love lands on me and then Sends me out to love the city. How? How do we operate in this space? What do we need to do in order to love our city rightly? To engage our, our, our city, the culture? I think it comes down to two things here. I've already touched on both of them, but, but the key here is that they are ordered. Number one, we have to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to love Jesus with all our all. If that's not number one, then everything else will fall apart. We have to be aligned with Jesus, obedient to Jesus, eager to do the will of our our Father in heaven. That no matter what, no matter what opposition, no matter what pressures we face, we have this resoluteness in our hearts and in our minds and in our bones to love our, the Lord our God. Now, the second thing that comes after this is to love the people and places the way that Jesus does, to love the city both in grace and in truth. And when we love the city the way that Jesus loves it, that, that carries both a prophetic edge of the truth, of what is real, what God says in his word. And when we're gracious and have compassion in the same way that Jesus has grace and compassion towards us, this is where, this is the Molotov cocktail of city renewal. It's where where the two things meet and our city is starting to change and be restored and sanctified by both grace and truth. We avoid being detached from our city In separatism, we avoid being engulfed by our city with syncretism, but rather we are firmly rooted in the truth of Jesus. We are firmly rooted in the heart of Christ. Now, when ordinary Christians live everyday life with this paradigm at play, this is where gospel renewal starts to happen in our city. When ordinary Christians live with gospel intentionality, they live convictionally, both with grace and truth. This is where the darkness starts to get pushed back inch by inch. And a lot of times, it doesn't happen in these big, grandiose expressions. Zach S. Wine um, wrote this book, and he's got this... This phrase that he uses over and over, he, he talks about like, as Christians, we're, we sort of gravitate towards what's big and expedient and sort of impressive. Like that's, that's kind of the way that we hope God would use us, big and fast and impressive. And really what Christian faithfulness looks like a lot of times is being small and obscure and unknown, except for maybe a very few people. When we have this mindset of engaging with those people who are around us. We we find ourselves not overwhelmed by the darkness of the culture, but rather full of hope with what God can do because what God did in my heart, he's capable of doing in theirs. What God has done in my household, he can do in theirs. What God is doing in, in your workplace, he can do in theirs. The renewal, the grace just oozes out and keeps moving and moving. In this hope, we can be confident that everything that we do in the name of Christ will stand forever. The energy that we put into making Moline a better place and by, by better, I, I, I don't mean like better by the world standards. I mean a more righteous place, a more God-centered place. It will stand forever. This is meaningful work. In fact, this, this gives your occupation even more meaning than just going and getting a paycheck. This means that God has placed you in in that vocation in order to work for renewal, to create a culture of godliness, to create a culture of grace. And this is how God plans to deploy you for the renewal of the city, bit by bit, little by little, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now we labor to this end at Sacred City. We, We say... We can't escape this. We, we cannot not engage the culture. We cannot afford to let the culture completely derail us from the life of godliness. But the Lord Jesus commands us to live as salt and light. And one day Jesus, Jesus will usher in a new heavens and new earth. What's broken and decrepit in this world will fade away. And what's, what's been done in the name of Jesus will stand for eternity in heaven and earth will collide and they will meet. And right there will be a glorious city. Right there where, where heaven and earth collide is the new Jerusalem. The city that is marked by glory and beauty and justice and righteousness and safety and joy and laughter and goodness and equity. This is the city that will, be, that will remain. It is a fully redeemed city. Now, while we live here in Moline or wherever, the work that we do is, is a signpost to point to that end. That God has a city and God himself dwells in that city with his people. Now the thing about this city is The city of God This renewed city this, this glorious city That's coming down the pike Is only for people with renewed hearts The, the kind of people that will be in the city are, are the kind of people that have been washed by the blood of Jesus That their sins have been forgiven That they have been gifted a righteousness that is not their own Those are the only kind of people that will occupy the city. And right now, Jesus stands. He's come into our corrupt world, not to condemn us, but to offer an invitation. He says, come to me. Trust in me. I will wash you. I will bring you into my eternal kingdom. And you get to start living in it right now. This is why we come to the Lord's table every Sunday to to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus has secured a future for us that we simply do not deserve in our own merit. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He, He took our sins upon himself in the flesh and it was crucified. His body was broken, his blood was shed so that he could deal with that seed that's in our hearts the seed of sin that leads to the downfall of every city. He dealt with it so that we could live with him in paradise for eternity. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy towards us that we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve your grace. We have done nothing to to merit that. And you stand so loaded with grace, grace upon grace upon grace. As people who have encountered your grace, you you have transformed us in a way that that makes us want to live for you. We pray that you would help us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, knowing that it's not us, but Christ being channeled through us, the work of the Spirit in us and through us. Would you make us a church, God, that has a a vision bigger than ourselves? Like I I was even this week, I was I was doing my own navel gazing. And I was just caught up in the smallness of my own life that I took my, I I, I lost the vision of what you are doing in the world. Help us to see what it is you're doing. Help us to realize that Jesus doesn't take losses. Jesus is is moving the mission forward. He's, He's renewing and one day he will stand at the end of time and said, behold, I am making all things new. God, we desire to see some of that newness unfold right here before our eyes. Would you help us to live into that as your faithful ambassadors? Give us the grace and the power through this meal that we're about to partake in together, that we would glorify you, that our city would take on uh, more of, of the imprint of the kingdom of heaven, that people would find fullness of life and joy, that our city would be a better place, not just for Christians, but for all people. And as they see our good works, would the glory arise to you, our Father in heaven, because you are the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.